Hi, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo, the weekly I Choose the Ladder newsletter that goes out every Monday to help you with your career development needs during the week. In the newsletter, I share articles that I found helpful as a Black woman in corporate America, career development resources, job opportunities, and upcoming I Choose the Ladder events. Everything that we do is released to the subscribers of the newsletter first. So if the memo sounds like something you would like to receive, you can subscribe by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Tatiana Holyfield Arthur. Tatiana currently serves as Vice President, Head of Digital Strategy for Pacers Sports and Entertainment, an integrated sports and entertainment company comprised of the Indiana Pacers, the Indiana Fever, Fort Wayne Mad Ants, Pacers Gaming, Pacers Foundation, and operations of Bankers Life Fieldhouse Arena. In this role, she leads the digital and social media marketing strategy for the entire organization. As one of the Pacers' highest-ranking women in leadership, she will also lead the team's digital strategy for the 2021 NBA All-Star in Indianapolis. Prior to her current role, Tatiana was Senior Director of Social Media and Digital Marketing Strategy for Viacom BET Networks. With a team based in New York and Los Angeles, BET launched over 100 social media campaigns that drive tune-in, attendance to events, pro-social awareness, and building brand affinity. Prior to Viacom, Tatiana spent six years working under the Comcast NBC Universal umbrella in various capacities. As Director of Brand Marketing for NBC Universal Television and New Media Distribution, she led brand marketing, events, social media, and affiliate relations for the network's daytime syndicated shows, including high-profile talkers Steve Harvey, Access Hollywood, Meredith Vieira, Jerry Springer, Maury, and more. Most notably, Tatiana established the Maury Facebook page, which grew to over 1 million followers in a year. She currently resides in Indianapolis with her husband and her beloved dog. Now, clearly, Tatiana is a boss. And this conversation, I think she shared so much and has a lot of practical advice that you can use as you think about your career. So as always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, a pen, and your favorite beverage. Today, I'm being boring and drinking a bottle of water because I need to stay hydrated and get ready to catch these gems. Hey, Tatiana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you today. Listen, so since the I Choose a Ladder Career Summit, people have been asking me about you, getting you on this podcast. I'm like, y'all, she got a job. She got a whole job uh, with the Pacers Entertainment Group in Indianapolis. Like, I'm going to try my best to get her here. So, y'all, she's here. Tatiana is here, people. <laughs> um, thank you. So, you know, like, you, you know, you've done a ton. You've pivoted, and we'll get to that stuff. But can you think back to, like, your first job in corporate America? How did you get it? Did you have parents who were like, hey, this is the route to go, I will help you? Like, how did you get that job? Yeah, let me tell you, first of all, I do not have a silver spoon, probably never will. <laughs> 
I come from a uh, single mother household. My mom and dad split when I was um, young, probably around seven years old. My dad was in the military and my mom raised my sister and I um, on her own. And let me tell you, my mother was a cleaning lady. She would clean the apartment complex that we lived in to make a living. And I think it's because of her that I learned how to work hard. Mm-hmm. And it was that drive and that motivation to just, you know, do what you have to do to provide for yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, no shade to my dad, but I also learned not to rely <laughs> on a man for anything. And so as a female, I, um, you know, learned that you got to go out and get it. And so that's always been my mentality. And I think that has continued to live with me throughout my entire career. Well, so how does someone go from being raised by a mom who's a clean lady to now being the vice president and head of digital and social media strategy for the Pacer Sports and Entertainment Group? I feel like that's a huge leap, right? So how did you even know that corporate America was a thing that you could pursue? Yeah, well, first and foremost, it's nothing but God. Um, I have to just say that. But, you know, I um, I put myself through um, college. I uh, decided pretty early on that I knew I wanted to go to college. I had some uh, teachers in high school who told me, you know, um, you would be great in television. And I was like, television, really? Like, no, I'm not interested in being on air. Like, I just don't have that, like, in front of the camera vibe. And that wasn't my thing. And so they said, well, you know what? You should you should try it and check it out. And so those um, teachers actually persuaded me to look into Columbia College, Chicago. And that's what made me go to that school and major in media management and arts and entertainment. And I always had a passion for TV in general because I just love watching TV as a kid. Um, But I knew I didn't want to be on air. As I was working throughout my entire career, as I mentioned, you know, my mom was a single mother. So I was working a full time job at the age of 15, um, working at Taco Bell. Actually, it was my first job. And I realized that for me, I liked being around people. So when I started looking at colleges and looking at Columbia College, I was trying to find out how do I marry my two loves? One was television and one was being around people, which I finally realized was management. So Columbia College has a huge arts entrepreneurship media management program. And I was like, perfect. That's for me. During that time, I learned all about the TV industry and things like that. Um, And I realized that marketing is more of my thing because I'm creative. Mm. And so um, where I had some professors who tried to get me into sales, they were like, oh, you know, I think you'd be great at sales. You can sell anything. You got a good mouthpiece. And I was like, no, not my thing. (laughs) I'm more of a creative. I like to like dig into my Barney bag and see what I can make and all of that. And that's the side I actually get from my dad. Uh, He's a real creative, hands-on person. So um, I started to just, you know, Uh, pursue that full time. And during that time, again, at the back of my mind, always having my mom in that work hard mentality, I made it a point that I was going to be a VP by the age of 30. Mm -hmm. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, when I set a goal, everything just 
ties into that goal. So when I, I mean, like my password on my computers was BP by 30. Uh, My phone was BP by 30. Like I'm putting it out there in the universe Mm -hmm. because that's what I wanted. And so as a result of that, I just started to, you know, work hard, um, be great in the roles that I was in. Because that's first and foremost, you can't move up if you're horrible at what you're currently doing. Um, And network, get to know people in the industry that I really wanted to be in, which was television. And, you know, as it as my career just progressed, it just one opportunity led to the next, which led to the next, led to the next. And that's kind of what got me to where I am now. So what I'll say is I did not become a VP by the age of 30. I was a little bit older than that. I think I was maybe 32, but it helped me stay on track. Mm. It helped me to have a vision and a plan and set some actions and goals for myself that probably if I did not have that outline for myself, I probably wouldn't have worked as hard to achieve. Hmm. And let's, we'll talk about like the mentors who helped you kind of navigate that in a second, but thinking back to that first job, right? So I know you've worked in Chicago, you've worked in New York, you've worked in a bunch of different markets. How did you go about getting it, right? So you're in college, you're at Columbia, you're like, listen, I'm trying to be a VP at something by 30. Like, how did you go about some actual um, actions that you took to get that first job? Sure. Um, so I had met, um, a guy actually that I was dating at the time in, in high school or in college, sorry. And he worked in the music industry. Um, and he said to me, so you want to work in TV? Who do you know? And I'm like, I don't know anybody. I just, I just, I'm in school. I don't know anybody. And he was like, well, you got to know someone to get in. And I said, well, who do you know then? And he said, well, I, I know somebody who works at uh, MTV. I could connect you. And I said, okay, cool. So he connected me to that person who worked at MTV. He was a vice president of sales at the time. And we just had a phone conversation. And, um, you know, our, our vibe was good on that phone call. And he said, listen, I'm going to take you on as my mentee. And I'm going to teach you, you know, some things here and there. And I said, okay, great. And when I tell you he poured into me so much, um, he would be, you know, he's a busy professional um, traveling here and there as a salesperson. He would have 20 minutes before boarding his flight where he would call me and just talk to me about real life situations that he was doing during his day. Oh, I had this presentation to a client and I had this meeting and I had that meeting and he was teaching me acronyms and things like that, that you don't get in school. Mm -hmm. He was sharing proprietary decks with me to help me like get a better understanding how things are worded or what the strategy was and things like that. And so that really helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, Uh, after I graduated college, I told him that I really wanted to move to New York. And he said, okay, well, let's try to find you a job in New York. And so we both started the hunt and he actually met someone who was the head of marketing at SNY Sportsnet New York and at a conference. And he says, Hey, my mentee is looking to move to New York. You know, can you talk to her? And she said, yeah, sure. I don't have any job openings, but I'm happy to, you know, just talk to her. And so we set up a call, you know, the call was great. We vibed. And again, she said, you know, Tatiana, I don't have any job openings right now, but I'm happy to keep you in mind in case anything, you know, comes up. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, great. 
when I tell you this is where God comes in, it was a year to the day of me speaking to her that out of the blue, I get an email from her and she says, hey, Tatiana, did you ever move to New York? I have a job open. And I said, no, I didn't, but I'm still interested. I'm like, well, what's the job? And she was like, oh, well, sorry, I can't pay for relocation. So just pass this along to someone else. And I was like, oh, uh-uh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, because if this is the right opportunity, I will pay for myself to get there. Yeah. And so she said, okay, well, let's talk. She was like, let's get on a call and we'll see. So we spoke, she interviewed me and it went great. And she told me, look, Tatiana, I think you would be great for this role. But again, I can't pay for relocation. Um, so if you can get yourself here to New York next week, then I'll set you up with some job interviews. And here I am living in Atlanta at this time. I was working, but not making a whole lot of money. And I say, you know what? <laughs> this is it. Like, I have to find my way to New I'm York. So I had a colleague who um, lived in New York. She was at our New York office. And I said to her, girl, I have a job interview. Like, can I come crash on your couch? She was like, yeah, no problem. I found a round trip ticket for $120. And I flew out there. They set me up with five interviews in one day. And that Friday, I got the phone call that I got the job. That's amazing. Yeah. And when I tell you, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I had two weeks to pack up and move to New York with um, no place to live, (laughs) uh, no money. I think I may have had $1,100 to my name. Um, And that was about it. And I did everything I could. I found a roommate on roommates.com. I sold my car. I uh, gave my dog away. Like I did everything I could (laughs) to get to New York. And I slummed it out for the first three months um, living in a horrible uh, roommate situation. But it got me a foot in the door and I made a path for myself. Um, I was one of the only African-American in a managerial role. I was the only black female in a managerial role. And here I am coming from Atlanta, moving into New York, which was um, working for SNY, which was a male white sports dominated industry. Mm. So, you know, they were looking at me like, who is this chick? (laughs) And how did she get here? And how did she get here? (laughs) And let me tell you that that was the question that was most asked of me. Who did you know? Who did you know to get this job? Mm. And to this day, I still get asked that question. Oh, my God. So speaking of that, right, because your network does matter. And this is something that I stress all the time. I know people who listen to the podcast are sick of me talking about the network. But first, like, so literally your mentor is the reason. Well, you know, you are talented, you were prepared, you stayed on it. But had your mentor not opened that door for you, it would have been a lot harder to get through. But as you progress in your career, how has mentorship played a role in your development? And how do you get and maintain relationships with with mentors? Yeah, 
mentorship is key. Um, throughout my entire career, I have had multiple mentors. Um, that mentor that I spoke of is still my mentor and friend to this day. Um, him and I have a great relationship, but I've also had various other mentors, some formal through formal mentoring programs and some informal. Maybe they were um, past bosses or even past colleagues, things like that, that have become great mentors to me. And, you know, I also have peer level mentors, um, which is very important because you need sometimes that person who is on your same wavelength to kind of bounce ideas off of or help you think about things that perhaps you hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. So um, I find mentorship to be extremely valuable. And um, I also think that it has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I've been in formal um, mentoring programs that are very structured and, you know, they set you up with someone and all of that. And if you and that person just don't have a genuine connection um, or a good vibe, it doesn't work. And to be honest, that it's just as much of a um, value for the mentor to have a mentee than it is the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so if he had not taken a liking to want to pour and invest in me, I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am. And then vice versa. Now, um, as he has progressed in his career, I'm opening doors for him because he's more into like consultancy roles and things like that. So it becomes a really reciprocal relationship. And so um, I definitely think that um, finding a mentor that you connect with Mm. is what's most important. Mm. And um, you mentioned in your, the role, the first role, you were, you know, the only black person in management like the only black woman in management, you know, as we've grown, gone up the ladder, that is a common occurrence. And so how do you go about building community um, who understands what you're going through when you need support in those roles? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think there is a combination of internal and external community. And what I mean by that is within your company, you will find a community or at least you should hope to find a community of people that you can trust and have um, open and honest conversations with. Mm-hmm. And then externally, you got to have those conversations, too. And the conversations may be a little bit different, Um but you need to know that you have allies and people who can support you throughout. Um, I find that internally, it's not always people that look like me. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I usually have a good base of people who look like me. Um, but some of the biggest supporters are also, just to be quite frank, like white men. <laughs> I find them to be very supportive of, of my career and everything else. So, um, you know, the community piece is, is hard to navigate, I think, but you have to, hmm, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to genuinely answer that question because it's, it's, there's layers to it. It's a little complicated. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so earlier in the conversation when you said um, 
when you talk to your boyfriend, he asks you, who do you know, right? Referring to like your network. So how have you thought about cultivating and growing your network over time? Yeah, I am, I hate networking. I hate the word network, um, to be honest. Like it makes me feel like I'm an opportunist. Um, But I think that if it's genuine networking, if I can say that, um, it is more of just a reciprocal relationship. And I like to think of it more as relationship building versus networking. So if I meet someone at a conference or an event or whatever, and we exchange contact information, you know, if we really have that vibe in that moment and we can continue that conversation later on, then it becomes, how do we build a stronger relationship that is reciprocal for each other? I have people now who reach out to me and say, hey, you want to come and speak on this panel or hey, whatever. And then I'm giving it right back to them. Like, hey, I have this opportunity or hey, did you know about that? So for me, I don't don't like networking when it's only a, what can you do for me? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find that um, to happen a lot in some circumstances. Where it's like a one-way withdrawal all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think like that's not networking at all, actually, when people do that. And we, we talk about this all the time, right? It's the quality of the relationships, not necessarily the quantity of the people who you know who may not know anything about you at all. Um, so obviously, you are not in the job that you were in New York. You are in Indiana because you work for the Pacers uh, organization. So how have you known when it's been time for you to move on to your next opportunity? For me, I've been blessed with some really great opportunities. Um, All of them I have completely excelled in and uh, gone to the next level. And most of the roles, it's been about moving on when I feel like I'm not being challenged. Um, At a certain point in your career or a certain point in your role, you may get to a point where for whatever the reasons are, um, you stop being challenged. That could be personal, Mm -hmm. meaning maybe you are blocking yourself from being challenged Mm -hmm. or it could be external resources like perhaps a boss or perhaps other, you know, factors, maybe budget related or any other things. So Um, I know that when I left NBC Universal, I um, moved on because it was a larger role into a director position and it was um, doing uh, better things, um, more things than I was doing in my current role. When I moved over to BET Networks, it was because I was trying to um, expand my marketing capabilities. I was going from being a traditional marketer where my background was in affiliate marketing and consumer marketing to now moving into social media. And so I wanted to take on a whole new path and I knew that that was a booming industry. Um, And then when I left BET Networks, Honestly, it was about life change. Um, I just got married. I was ready for a slower pace of life. I just wanted, um, I was in a different stage of my my life and my career. And um, 
the Pacers, you know, had this opportunity that they reached out about and my father lives in Indiana. And so knowing where I was in my relationship with bridging that gap with him, it became a great opportunity for me to kind of move on and do some new things in my life. So it, it all kind of came full circle. Um, and I think I remember reading an article that they, the Indianapolis, uh, like one of the trade publications in Indianapolis posted with the leadership team of the Pacers organization. And you are one of the only black women, if not the only black woman, I can't remember. Um, so in those circumstances, right, you technically you have a seat at the table, right? And especially with black women, even after we've earned the seat at the table, there's still like the imposter syndrome that happens where there are moments where you're like, why am I here? Are they going to find out? So one, do you deal with imposter syndrome? And two, if it's, if you do deal with it, how do you keep it under control? Yeah. You know, as I, as I said before, um, the first question that usually is asked is who did you know to get this job? And I, when I came here, it was, I got that question a lot because um, Indianapolis isn't the most diverse of places. Um, and, um, I was a new brown face in a high position role. And so people, they just wanted to know, uh, what connections I had. But really quickly, did you ever ask them who did they know to get their jobs? That's a fair question to ask a weird thing to say to somebody and I, I don't think people think about what they say to people before they say it and I wonder if they would have been offended if after you answered you asked them so who did you know to get this job yes um I pick my battles it depends on who the person is okay. that will dictate my response to that question um but oftentimes I try to use it as a as a teaching opportunity to kind of um check them in a nice way, <laughs> you know, and, and oftentimes, um, I'll just say, I didn't know anybody but God <laughs> because, uh, let's just start there. So, um, and then I will kindly, you know, show them my credentials and let them read for themselves. But, you know, those type of comments are neither here nor there. I, I look at it as um, I was given a seat at the table for a reason and I'm going to continue to use my voice and be heard. And I'm going to also use my voice to bring up others. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was interviewing for the role, just to be candid, um, I flew out a couple times and, you know, they took me through the back door of getting through. If you, you work, you work at arena. So, you know, there's, you know, back doors and all of that. So I didn't necessarily see all the employees or anything else when I was, you know, coming in to interview, but the few people that I did see um, that were of color was the receptionist and the security guard. Mm -hmm. And when I noticed that, that was my first um, perception. And I said to them, quite frankly, before accepting the offer that I said, you know, there's room for improvement in diversity here. And if I accept this role, that's going to change. And I'm going to make sure that we hire more people of color. 
And you know what they told me? Great. We want you to. What do you need? How can we support you in that? Hmm. And I was like, that's all I need to hear. And and through that, they have been totally supportive of me with that. And, and it's not only just me hiring people of color, but now I am challenging my counterparts to also think differently too, right? Because I also don't want to turn into, just to be honest, like I don't want my team to be the black team or, you know what I mean? Or the minority team or whatever. So it has to be across the board. And, you know, our company as a whole has done an amazing job Mm -hmm. of being more cognizant of best practices in hiring of diverse candidates and making sure that they are giving people um, a fair chance and even going out and looking for people in avenues that they traditionally probably would not have. So I give them props for that. And props to you for speaking up, you know, about the lack of diversity that you saw. I think a lot of the times that people, especially, so we did a poll about what do we think that Black women deal with that their non-Black female counterparts don't have to deal with. And one of the things is like people are afraid to speak up because when they speak up, they're labeled as difficult or they're labeled as angry or they're labeled as whatever that X may be. And so how do you think about your communication style? And do you think about avoiding the stereotypes of being an angry Black woman or the person who's always talking when the Black issue comes up or like being pegged to the Black team? Like, How do you think about that in terms of how you communicate? Yes, I'm, um, that's something that I'm very aware of. And for me, it has to be balanced. Um, when I started, you know, um, I found that the there were a lot of opportunities that presented themselves and they needed a brown face in the room. And so I was that go-to person. Mm-hmm. And I had and when I quickly realized that, I pushed back. And I said, listen, I'm not doing this. Um, get XYZ person to do it. You know what I mean? Because I don't want them to think that, hey, I'm only going to show up if this is an event catered towards black and brown or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very strategic about um, the things that I invest my time to. So when I'm a part of board memberships or anything like that, I make sure that it's very fair and balanced in the type of organizations that I commit my time to. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to support my culture and support my people, but I also um, need to, and I don't mean to say this in a weird way, but like I need to have a seat at the table in other places so that I can bring other people in those doors too. Mm-hmm. So that's important to me. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, uh, even in normal day to day business practices, mm-hmm. sometimes there needs to be that voice that speaks up, mm-hmm. you know, simple decisions around creative. Right. I remember um, my team one day making a video and it was just a simple video for our dance team. And they sent it to me for approval. And I was like, nope, redo it. There are no people of color in this video. And they came back and redid it again. And then it was all people of color. And I was like, nope, redo that too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and that's where you have to keep um, teaching, you know, um, about what's appropriate and what's not. Mm -hmm. And now um, sometimes I still get 
certain people who will come to me because they really genuinely want to know or bounce something off of me to ensure that they're not being offensive or anything like that. And I don't mind that at all. Um, but I, I challenge them to look at it first. Mm. You know what I mean? So if, did you have a problem with it? Did it bother you? Do you think this could be taken the wrong way or things like that? So those are just, you know, some of the lens that I, that I look through, um, when I'm being put in those positions. Mm. And then you talked a little bit about the people on your team. And I think, so research has shown that even when we're in the office, it's harder for black women to find mentorship and sponsorships within their organization, just because of like a bunch of different factors. And now that we're moving to like, you're working with your team remotely. Um, so you're not in the office, at least for right now. Um, how do you think women, black women, because that's who listen to this podcast primarily, how do they go about finding people in their organization to mentor them or to take them on um, in this new kind of crazy temporary normal that we're living in? You know, to me, I think this um, virtual world right now is actually making things easier mm-hmm. because um, it's a lot easier for me to wake up at 830 and just jump on a virtual coffee date, you know, with a young woman of color in my organization than it is for me to have to get up at 8.30 in the morning, drive into the office or drive to meet her at a coffee shop and all that before I get my day started, things like that. Mm. So um, from a time aspect, it makes things a whole lot easier. Um, I think you could also be a little more candid and casual when you're in like your home setting because you're letting people into your home, you know, so to speak of um, with these virtual backgrounds and things like that. So um trying to think and then just also I think there's a a much greater opportunity to just kind of reach across the table to people who you traditionally um may not have in the office I say that there is there's a young lady um she's one of our new sales um sales service coordinators. I forgot the title of it, but you know, she's, she's fresh out of college. This is her first job and she was quite shy. Um, and she's been around the office, you know, she's seen me walking through the halls, but was too nervous and scared to just say hello and like reach out because she thought of me of this high class VP, you know, and like, Oh, I can't talk to the VP without permission or whatever. And I think because of this new virtual um, landscape that we're in, she felt a little more comfortable to be like, you know what, let me just shoot her an email. And she emailed me and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's jump on a Zoom. And so we were able to just chat, you know, face to face like that. So to me, um, this is a great opportunity that we're in. And um, there's a lot more opportunities for people to kind of network within their company um, and create uh, some more relationships that could ultimately lead to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, the young lady who was shy and didn't say anything, um, you've managed people for a while now, like so it's not just the pacers. Can you think through, like, are there common mistakes that you see young Black women making that could be impacting their careers unconsciously um, that you don't see their counterparts making? Yes. We, just to be honest, um, (laughs) 
if I can quote Amarosa for a second, and let me tell you. Oh, Jesus. They said, oh, I don't even know if I would have. Let me tell you. Anytime you have to quote Amarosa, it's probably not a good thing. But this is probably <laughs> the smartest and only thing I've ever heard her say that was smart. Amarosa, back when Bethany Frankel had a talk show, Amarosa went on Bethany's show and sat down on her couch and she said, Bethany, she was like, what you need to realize is that as Black women, we can't be mediocre. We can't just show up looking any kind of way, talking any kind of way, behaving any kind of way, and still get our job or keep our job. You know what I mean? We have to be extraordinary Mm -hmm. at what we do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, for once, Amarosa said something that was quite smart, but she's right because we can't just show up in the workplace with our hair all over our head or, you know, looking unkept or unpolished or um, unprepared for meetings or for conference calls or not delivering on the products that we are supposed to, you know, represent or whatever. We can't do that. We don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. We have to come as triple threats. We have to come uh, buttoned up. We have to come with research. We have to come, you know, with a full presentation. We have to come, you know, with our hair done, makeup done, nails done, everything to appear polished professional and um, someone that they trust to receive information from. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to me that if I show up one day in a suit with my hair done, lipstick on, all of that, people are like, oh, she, you know, she's writing tickets. She's ready to, you know, bring it. Or she got a job interview. Because listen, that's that's one of the things in the comments that we got is like, one black woman said that every time we show up in a suit, people always assume that we have a job interview, but anybody else, like they leave them alone. I was like, so, okay, pause on that for one second because I'm, I'm back to it. Um, but if you show up with tennis shoes on or a track suit or whatever, then they're like, oh, are you okay? Are you sick today? Is something wrong? You know, what, what's going on? So you, you get both sides of the table with that. Um, but to go back to that, that you, you are so on point with that and um I switch it up hmm. all the time you never know what you're gonna get from me mm-hmm. one day I may come on with a full suit two-piece three-piece suit the next day I might have on a skirt set the next day I might have on and I'm always switching it up so that way there is no excuse as to oh she just got a job interview no this is just Tuesday <laughs> This is my everyday. So well, you just mentioned, because this is something that I'm struggling with too. Um, because honestly, the fact that black women have to do all like it's exhausting. Like people are tired. Like if you hear some of the comments that I get, it's like, well, this is exhausting and backfire a lot of people, like it's corporate for me, blah, 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 blah. But the question is when when you come in and like you have on maybe sweats or not sweats, because nobody should be wearing sweats to work unless you are a trainer. Like let's just be clear about that but when you're more casual right and people say are you okay with what is our role in like correcting them or not checking them but like 
what is our role in so that we don't have to keep doing it over and over and over or having the same conversations over and over. But what is our role when someone says something to you that is not like they wouldn't necessarily say to anybody else, but they say it to you. Like, what is your role in correcting that? Or do you still like just let it go and just move on to your job? Yeah, you know, to me, again, I kind of pick my battle. Some things are not worth my time and energy to even comment on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I just let it slide or I'll be like, yes, casual day for me and keep it moving. You know, I... So, I have much bigger fish to fry than to worry about someone who's worrying about my dress code or my attire. Um, So that's probably why they are where they are. If they're so busy worried about me and not worried about themselves and doing what they got to do. So I don't let that type of, you know, stuff get to me at all. I keep, I keep it rolling on that. Mm-hmm. And then this question actually came up a bunch during this time. So you're all remote. Your team is remote. How can your team provide you value right now? Like what kinds of work actions are you finding to be the most valuable and helpful? And how should people be thinking about providing values for their bosses during this time? That's a great question. Um, I will say specifically for what I do right now, which is in this digital space, our industry is booming. (laughs) We have to completely pivot on strategies and think far ahead to um, how the world is going to change um, as a result of of coronavirus. So the the best thing that my team can do is to inform themselves and educate themselves, stay ahead, um, stay ahead of trends and technology, um, take online courses to learn about new things um, or uh, read about what's happening in other countries like China or read about, you know, um, uh, European soccer and the, the enhancements that they are making, things like that. That's what they can do to provide value to me is to stay ahead because when it comes time to me coming to them to ask for tactics to go along with strategies that I'm trying to put in place, I need them to be prepared. I need them to be ready. I need them to bring that energy. And also in our business, you know, there's a lot of people who are now laid off. And because they are laid off, they have decided that they want to make a career pivot into this digital and social space, Mm -hmm. which means we will now have more competitions for jobs long term. Right. So before we may have been one of the few people that had the expertise to know how to do certain things in this digital or social world. Now people are going taking courses during their spare time. They're learning They're you know, getting that experience. And um, we're going to have to compete with all those people long-term for for roles. So I need them to um, be thinking ahead. You know, how how is AI going to change our day-to-day? How is um, like touchless technology and things like that? So that's that's what my team um, truthfully can do to provide value for me right now. And we'll talk about the pivot really quickly. But one of the things I I was thinking about when you talk about the dress code, the thing that comes up the most frequently that we have to deal with that other people don't is hair, right? Like black hair. 
and wearing your hair. So how do you think about like what is corporate appropriate hair? Like, are you up all night trying to worry about if I change my hair, somebody's going to say this? Like, how do you think about hair in terms of the overall um, importance to your day or your career? Yeah, um, it, that's a, it's such a funny conversation to have and it can get so controversial and heated. Um, I had a, a situation pretty early on in my career. Um, I was working at Best Buy when I was young, like super early in my career. And um, I have always been into hair. I love having weave in my head. Like I, I go all out with hairstyles. I have no problem switching it up. I, I'm a chameleon. And um, I remember wanting to have like a hop, maybe it was like a rotted ponytail with color or something. I don't know. It was something crazy. And my boss at the time had a problem with it and told me I could not wear that hairstyle at work. And me being the confident yet cocky person that I am, I had no problem with telling that boss that if they had a problem with the way I um, did my hair, then I had no problem walking away from that job because number one, my hair does not affect my work ethic. And as long as I'm continuing to do the best for you and be the best employee that you have, and that's a fact, <laughs> then you cannot tell me that my hairstyle is going to harm any clients or, you know, make you lose sales or anything else. So I stood my ground on that. And um, eventually I moved on from that job. But even now, as I um, have worked my way up, I do feel that there is a certain, um, and this is just my personal opinion, I think there is a certain presence that I personally want to have for my brand. And I um, am not one for rocking my natural hair in an afro. That's just me. Some people are different. To, you know, to each his own. Um, I just don't feel that one comfortable with my natural hair, unless I probably threw some clippings in it and it was all curly and I was all cute. And I don't know, I have to like figure out how I, how I want it to look. But um, so I, I have a certain um, perception that I personally have for my own brand with that being said, though, I have wanted to be more edgy in my appearance. And as you can see, I shaved the side of my head recently. Um, and that's not something that traditionally in corporate America they would go for um, to allow someone with a shaved head to, you know, be leading an organization. Um, but I didn't care. I personally um, do not care. If someone has an opinion on my hair, um, and I told my boss even before I was going to do it, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing something edgy with my hair. I don't know what, but I'm going to do it. And he was like, I don't care how you look. <laughs> he said, your hair could be purple. Your hair could be green. He was like, it's not going to change, you know, what you do on a day to day. And that's when I knew I had a great boss. Because in my previous career, my boss told me, you cannot have this, right? And now my boss is like, 
Tatiana, we know what you do. We know what you provide. We know who you are. And your hair doesn't matter. Yeah. So, um, And then before this, you were talking about um, pivot. So you've pivoted industries a couple of times. What do you think people who want to pivot, whether they want to pivot out of an industry or a function, of what should they be thinking about or how should they be approaching the process of pivoting? When you are making to make, when you are looking to make a career pivot, I think the best thing that you can do is be informed about the industry that you're looking to be in. And um, what I mean by that is learn everything you need to know. Talk to people who are in that industry to get the inside scoop on the day to day. Like I talked about my mentor was sharing presentations and things like that with me in advance. Find some colleagues or friends or people who are in the industry in the field that you want and see how much you can get the inside scoop on things. So you can be very well versed to have those conversations when you go and interview. Mm -hmm. um, and then secondly, I would say your LinkedIn profile should be for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. Mm -hmm. So if you are looking to make a career pivot, let's say right now I'm in digital, but I want to work in aerospace. My LinkedIn profile should speak to the aerospace industry. Why? Because if I want recruiters to find me, for those type of jobs, how would they know that I'm looking for that type of job if everything in my profile says I just work in digital and sports? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So um, people have to remember that LinkedIn is a social media platform. It is keyword based and it's search and algorithm based. So that's why there's hashtags and things like that within the platform. If you want to be, um, if you want to show up in the search of those roles, then you have to have at least 80% of the keywords that match up. Mm. And I don't know if anyone has applied for a job with the LinkedIn premium uh, subscription, but it even tells you if you are within that top 10 percentile. What that is based off of is just the keywords within your profile and your resume matching up to the job description. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the two main things that I would say for anyone looking to make a career pivot. Um, be prepared and be ready and know as much as you can about the industry that you're trying to work into. And then secondly, um, have your LinkedIn profile be for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. Um, and for a lot of people, when they're thinking about pivoting and making a change, like there's a period where you feel stuck. Um, so can you go back to a time in your career where, me, where you maybe felt stuck and what you did to get unstuck? Mm, great question. Um, I think there were certain times in my career where I wanted more than what the job was willing to give me at that time. Meaning I wanted more responsibility. I wanted more projects. I wanted to manage more people, whatever the case was. And, um, and these, my superiors just maybe felt that I wasn't ready or maybe they just did not have an open opportunity for me to take those on. And for me, I'm not one that takes no very lightly. Um, I'm going to find a solution. And so as a result of that, 
to unstuck myself, if I can make that word up, (laughs) it was um, me trying to say, okay, well, if I can't get this in my day to day, then let me find a way that I can get it. So I would um, volunteer with other organizations like trade organizations, like, you know, when I was trying to make the pivot from traditional marketing into social media marketing, um, my job at the current time didn't have a lot of opportunity for me to do social media. So I was working at NBC and I decided to work with the NBC employee network, black employee network. And I volunteered to lead all of their social media strategy. Mm. And that was an opportunity for me to get that work experience and that knowledge that I couldn't get in my day-to-day role. Mm. And um, I took on volunteer opportunities where I could, you know, learn more. So I just say, um, always look for solutions. It's it's very easy to get stuck in a rut um, when you're constantly hearing no or, you know, feeling rejected. Um, But kind of getting outside of your own head and, and looking beyond to what the possibilities are will help you think a little bit differently. Um, and then as we have discovered, well, I, I already knew this, but now people listening to this podcast have discovered that you are crazy ambitious, right? You have some pretty lofty goals, but how do you balance having, you know, crazy career ambitions and then also your other interests and your priorities? You mentioned that you were married or like that kind of stuff. Like how do you integrate or balance those? It's hard. It is really hard. It's hard to balance everything, you know, being a wife, being uh, a fur baby mama, (laughs) being um, a sister, a daughter, a friend, um, a boss, a mentor, and everything else that's going on. And then even just having time personally for yourself. Um, And to be honest, I struggle with it. Uh, finding that that balance is not something that I'm good at, but uh, therapy helps <laughs> first and foremost. You and know, say that yes, it does. And I believe in um, therapy for your personal, but also work therapy, um, meaning like career coaching type of therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes just having sessions with. Uh, people either outside of your industry or maybe other professionals that are on a different level from you uh, will help you with learning how to cope and navigate in certain situations. Um, So those are some things that help me balance uh, yoga (laughs) and breathing I I struggle with breathing. I don't breathe very much and people take for granted. I know I do um, how much breathing plays a role in us just being healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's true. And a lot of the time, especially for black women, like we're holding our breath a lot and we don't realize it right in like different situations. Because I realize that sometimes I have to be like, girl, breathe. Or my watch, my Apple watch will vibrate and be like, breathe. Um, and I hadn't even realized that I had been holding my breath. It's why. And can can I say how, as Black women, you know, we deal with so many other um, body issues like fibroids and things like that. And all of that stress that we internalize plays a huge role on that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain point in my career, I got super, super stressed. And to the point where I was walking down the street one day, I had my hair up in a ponytail and my husband looked at me and he said, why do you have a bald patch in your head? And I was like, what? He was like, you have a bald patch in your head. And literally there was a chunk of hair just missing out of my head. And at that time, that's when I realized my job was stressing me out. So much to the point that I was losing my hair. My face was breaking out. I was having a lot of, you know, acne and things like that. Um, I started to go to physical therapy to a chiropractor and had to get cortisone shots in my neck because I had so much tension built up. One, from just holding all of that in. Two, from carrying my work bag with my laptop and everything that, you know, you have in your bag. Mm -hmm. Three, from sitting at my desk all day and my computer was situated one way versus the other. Um, And also, my eating habits were bad. I had a very busy schedule, nonstop meetings. Oftentimes, I wouldn't have breakfast, wouldn't take my lunch, you know, didn't eat until it was dinner time. And I had to stop all that. I had to be more thoughtful and more mindful of taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I had to put my lunch in my calendar and say that no one could book my lunch out, Mm -hmm. period. You know, I had to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. I um, had to not do as much mentoring because that was taking up a lot of my time. And it was all with great intent because I love giving back and I love being able to share my story. But I had to um, be more strategic about how I was managing my time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just carving that out and things like that. So as Black women, I, I think we we oftentimes want to take on everything. That super woman, that strong Black woman, like mantle that we are carrying while on the inside, we're like, this is too much. But there's, yeah. like, there's a bit of... A, like a lot of our identity, I think, is tied up in that um, being the strong black woman, being superwoman, especially in the workplace, uh, and that stress. I've heard about people, you know, losing a ton of weight, the losing of hair. That's been something that has come up regularly, and I wonder sometimes, like, what would it take for us to feel comfortable letting that label go? Like, what would that mean for our identity as black women, especially in corporate? where if you don't set boundaries, they will continue to expect more. Like where, what would it take or what does that mean for us as people? Um, If we're like, yeah, no, I'm actually just a regular human. I have the same struggle that y'all have. I'm just as tired as you guys are. Um, I'm interested to see like what would happen there, but we're running out of time. So let's go quickly to the lightning round. So these questions, don't overthink them. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. So what's one piece of career advice that you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? Invest. Hmm. Um, Invest in a 401k um, early on in your career where you can um, let that money accumulate. Hmm. Um, What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your career? Managing up. Um, what's the one book that you could read over and over again or that you give out the most frequently? Mika Brzezinski's uh, Know Your Value. Mm. Um, So then the last question is, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? 
You know, I hope more than anything that people say that I am a great leader. Mm. That's just first and foremost, that I'm a great leader. Take take the color out, take the age out, take everything else out. And just, I just want to be a great leader. Mm. That's perfect. And on that note, Tatiana, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so excited uh, to have you. And uh, I'm sure we'll be doing some stuff together soon. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate this conversation and I look forward to doing more as well. See, I told you all that she was amazing. Every time I say stuff, nobody wants to believe me, but I just, I adore Tatiana. Um, You guys know that I like to end each episode with the top three things that I took away from the episode. Um, First thing, when you are in a position where you're wanting more than what your job is willing to give you, whether that's more responsibility, an opportunity to showcase skills that you may have, one of the ways that you can find ways to do that is to volunteer. So lend those skills to organizations that may need it. And that's something that you can put on your resume that proves that you have a certain skill set or are capable of doing certain things. Second thing, this is my favorite. It's going to be part of the product that we're releasing in the fall your linkedin profile should be for the job that you want not the job that you have um i think she explains pretty well what she means by that but look at your linkedin is it right now designed for the job that you want or the job that you have um and then your network will open doors that talent alone will not so when her friend asked her who she knew in that um who she knew when she wanted to work in television and she didn't know anybody personally, but he was in her network and and he did. And that kind of knocked over the first domino for her to be able to work in the career that she has now. Um, As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us on Instagram at I Choose The Ladder. You can subscribe to our newsletter because we'd love to hear what it is that you thought of the episode by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Or you can find us on Facebook at I Choose The Ladder Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening.